It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Broadcasting from coast to coast. City to city, coast to coast. It's time for the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. If it's happening in sports, it's being talked about right here. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome into the Worldwide Sports Network. It is the Ryan Hickey Show with you right here. Let me just take a breath because my goodness, what we watched over this weekend, having what is easily, easily the best weekend of playoff football we have ever seen, ever, in my lifetime, in your lifetime, they will, I doubt, be another weekend that could rival the four tremendous games that we did see over these last two days, starting with an incredible finish with Bengals-Titans and going through what I would say is the best playoff game I have ever seen, which is Bills-Chiefs going down to the wire. Literally, no lead was safe in the final two minutes. Back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And as we know, the Chiefs do end up winning. So on a snowy Monday, let's just start the show with appreciation for what was incredible. And I will say, I want to send out my condolences to Bills fans. I guess Buccaneers fans. Only won last year, but sure, it's a tough loss you had yesterday. Titans fans and Packers fans. That is about as brutal as gut-wrenching of an exit from the playoffs you could have possibly asked for. That's the that's the really the, the tough part about sports is, is seeing defeats like that when everyone is watching. So my apologies, my condolences, because I'm sure if you're a fan of one of those four teams or had money on one of those four teams, you're hurting. You're absolutely hurting on this Monday. So we are here for you on the Ryan Hickey Show. We are coming to you live, as always, from the Big Italy Pizzeria Studios, whether it's great pizza, hot heroes, and phenomenal dinners, make sure you check out BigItalyPizza.com to find a location near you. Let's start with the game of the year, the game of the century, the game of my lifetime, at least, and that was Bill's Chiefs last night. Because we will give Patrick Holmes and Andy Reid their due praise. We will give Josh Allen his due praise as well because they were unbelievable. They were unstoppable. Tremendous back-and-forth slugfest. But I want to start here with the Bills defense. The Buffalo Bills defense, they have been fraudulent all season long. And then in the big moment, on the big stage with the season on the line, they let the Bills down. They let Josh Allen down when it mattered the most. Here's what I mean by fraudulent. Because I've said this now multiple times on the show, and hopefully you've been listening for more than just the last seven minutes we've been on the air. Hopefully you've listened to the show before. So if that's the case, you know the Buffalo Bills defense is fraudulent. I don't trust them. Here's why. When you look at these stats, when you look at the raw numbers, the Buffalo Bills defense, it looks really damn good. Number one in the regular season in total defense. Number one in scoring defense. Best defense in the NFL on third down. Statistically, this Buffalo Bills defense, man, 85 Bears. Man, dominant defense. Can't run on them, can't pass on them, you can't do anything. This Bills defense is going to shut you down. But then... When you need them the most, when they play against competent offenses, they disappear. 
Colts couldn't stop a nosebleed. The Titans were going up and down the field on them all day long. The the Buccaneers and Tom Brady sliced and diced them all season long. Any or all game long. Anytime the Bills defense goes against a competent playoff level offense, they collapse. They absolutely collapse. They cannot be relied upon. And we saw that again last night. And you know what they did? They ruined what was supposed to be a coronation for Josh Allen. You look at what was going and building surrounding this game. This was supposed to be the Buffalo Bills slaying the dragon. I get it's there's no long history, right, of the Bills and Chiefs because this is still a budding rivalry. This is still now the Buffalo Bills consistently getting to the playoffs and still Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs still kind of new to running the AFC. But this was supposed to be the Bills exercising their demons, getting revenge for last year's AFC title game, which the Chiefs ended up running away with that game late. We saw the picture of Stephon Diggs looking at the Chiefs celebration, you know, in disgust and in frustration last year. We've seen that all this week leading up to this game. This was supposed to be the Bills going back to the place where their season ended last year and extracting revenge for the second time this season when they smoked him early in the year. That was supposed to be that moment. And for Josh Allen, to his credit, he absolutely did everything he could have done, everything he should have done to put the Bills in position to do that, to get really the, the beat the thorn in their side, to send Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs home and send a message to the rest of the AFC that Kansas City is not the only team that's going to be a problem here in the AFC. The Buffalo Bills are here to stay. And honestly, Josh Allen, like I said, in the offense did their part. But here's where the fraudulent defense comes back to bite them yet again. The assignment was easy. The assignment was extremely easy to close out this game and get a massive win in Arrowhead. And then, oh yeah, by the way, go home to host an AFC title game. 13 seconds left. Don't allow the Chiefs to get into a field goal range. That's it. 13 seconds. This game is over. 13 seconds. Ask the Cowboys last week. 13 seconds is the fastest 13 seconds you ever see in history. Cowboys couldn't run more than one play in that time. 13 seconds. All you got to do is get one stop. Do not allow 40 yards in 13 seconds to allow the Chiefs to get into field goal range. It's almost impossible not to get that stop in that situation. And what happened to the Bills? We know. They didn't get the stop. Now, there's a lot of arguments, and you know what? I'll be honest. In the moment, it did not hit me. I believe Tony Romo was the one who mentioned it first. I know on Twitter a lot of people were killing Sean McDermott after this, rightfully so. Should have scripted it, should have kicked it short, and forced a return from the Chiefs in order to drain some clock. Again, I'll be honest. In the moment, I did not think of it, but hindsight, absolutely 100%. But even with that said, even with the Bills kicking out of the end zone, you're, if you're the Chiefs, you're on your own 25-yard line, and 13 seconds left. I mean, come on. That's a gimme. That's a layup for your defense. The number one defense in the NFL to get off the field and move on to the next round. You will take that situation every single time it's presented to you. Right? If you tell Sean McDermott, any, play, uh, any Bills player, hey, you're going to be up by three points in our head with 13 seconds left. All you do is prevent the Chiefs from getting into field range. Think you can do it? Every single time they're saying, absolutely, give me that wheel stop. All you got to do is keep everything in front of you. Don't allow massive chunk plays. And that's exactly what the Bills did. They're playing pre-vet defense. All of a sudden, you allow Tyreek Hill on a little screen to run 20, uh, 20 yards. 
Then, then, something that I still can't wrap my brain around. This is the, this is the one shot. Seven or eight seconds left, right? This is it. If the, if the Chiefs don't get enough yards to the field goal, they're probably going to have to have a 50-yard Hail Mary. So you get one stop here. You really set yourself up to win this game. The one thing you can't do, basically allow a 20-yard completion. Don't allow anyone on the Chiefs to make a big play to get open and, uh, and get a chunk play to get them into field goal range. And instead... With the game on the line, with the season on the line, the Buffalo Bills decide we're going to guard Travis Kelsey one-on-one. We're going to allow Travis Kelsey to run through the middle of the field on the inside of the seam wide open. We are not going to double, triple cover the safety blanket, the number one threat on this Chiefs offense that Patrick Holmes is going to look to in this situation. We're not going to cover him with two guys. We're not going to cover him with three guys. We're going to go one-on-one. We're going to allow him to run right up the middle of the field. We're going to play the sideline, even though the Chiefs have timeouts left. And Patrick Holmes to Travis Kelsey, you can make the argument that was the easiest play of the day. That was the easiest completion of the game for Patrick Holmes. He went for 25 yards in like six seconds. Five seconds. The Bills got to be kidding me. The one thing you can't do, the one person you can't leave open. You allow it to get open, and you allow your season to be ripped right from you. In 10 seconds, 10 seconds, the Chiefs went 44 yards in order to set up the 49-yard uh, field goal that tied the game. Okay, fine. You want to give the Bills defense? That's a quote-unquote tough situation. Fine. You know what? They have a chance to redeem themselves. It gets overtime. You lose a coin toss. The Chiefs defense back. Uh, the, the Bills defense back on the field. All you got to do is don't allow a touchdown. That's it. I know, sure, the Chiefs offense has gotten hot. But to give your white hot quarterback in Josh Allen, a guy who has led you and has been unstoppable down the stretch in the fourth quarter, to give him a chance, all you got to do is not allow a, field, uh, not allow a touchdown. And what happened is we know. Patrick Holmes and co. marched right down the field. Eight plays, 75 yards. There's blown assignments by the, uh, by the Bills defense. Chunk plays allowed. And they really didn't have a chance. The number one defense in the NFL couldn't defend the field to 13 seconds left. And then in overtime, basically allowed Patrick Holmes to march right down the field unabated. Easily. Take the game from us. Your number one defense has to step up in that situation. You can't put it all on the shoulders of Josh Allen, and that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly why I was not in love with this Bills team heading to the playoffs. This team was led by Josh Allen because, as we know, he has to do it all in the pass game, obviously. He has to do it all in the run game, which you saw yesterday as well. And now, I guess, the guys to play defense as well because the defense can't be relied upon. You can't have that happen. The Bills got to be better. And again, that's why the Bills defense all season long, I labeled as fraudulent. They can beat up on the Washington football team. They can make the Jets look silly. They'll, you know, pick off Davis Mills and the Texans three times and shut them out. That's all well and dandy. But when it comes to playing playoff caliber teams, you need your number one defense to get the stop. And they absolutely failed. They absolutely failed. 13 seconds left allowing the Chiefs to get a touch, uh, get a field goal is embarrassing. Allowing them to go right down the field in overtime, again, reveals who you truly are. 
frauds. Absolute frauds. And you know what it did? It ruined what was a borderline perfect game from Josh Allen. I'll be honest. I did not think after what he did last week, literally throwing a perfect game against the Patriots, that he could even replicate anything close to that. And to his credit, he came damn near close. 329 passing yards, four passing touchdowns. Oh, yeah, by the way, like I said, can't rely on the run game. He also led the, uh, the Bills in rushing, 68 yards on the ground. Again, had the Chiefs defense guessing the entire way because they didn't know, is he going to run, is he going to pass? We got to spy someone. Now we got to take guys out of coverage. He was throwing guys open, fitting balls into windows, looking off receivers. He was great. And in clutch time, in the big moment when you truly need Josh Allen to earn the contract and to lead your team, he did so. Back-to-back touchdown drives, scoring two touchdowns in under two minutes to lead the Bills and give them leads that they thought they should have held. You get you score a touchdown, 154 left, fine. It's a lot of time for Patrick Holmes. You get the ball back, you go down, you score a touchdown with 13 seconds left. That's it. Game is over. Start celebrating. And instead, the Bills defense absolutely choked. You couldn't have done a worse job in a bigger moment than that. And the biggest fraud or the most fraudulent unit in the NFL showed up yet again. So Bills fans, I'm sorry. That game was in your pocket. That game was yours. You should have had Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs out dead to rights. You should be in Orchard Park next week hosting an AFC title game. And instead you are home with your season over. Josh Allen did everything he could. And the defense let you down in the big, big moment. So let's get your thoughts. Your main reaction to Chiefs and Bills. How much blame are you putting on the Chiefs, uh, on the Bills defense? We'll get into the overtime rules later on in the show. I'm not having that discussion. The overtime rules are perfect. They're fair. Blame the Bills defense. Couldn't get a stop. Defense gets paid to. We'll circle back to that conversation a little bit later on in quick hits. But I want to get your thoughts here again. Biggest reaction to Chiefs and Bills. Comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show is where you could tweet as well. You can find a live link to the show on both Twitter and Facebook. When we do return here, I want to touch on the, the 49ers-Packers game because I think there's one major, major takeaway, and that is this. Aaron Rodgers, Saturday night and throughout his entire career, it's been an underachievement. We'll explain why that is when we return. It's Ryan Hickey right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back Welcome to the back Ryan Hickey Show. Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Bills Chiefs was an all-time classic. And that game was so good that it kind of helped bury the lead of the weekend. I thought the biggest headline, the biggest story for the most part, the biggest disappointment came in Green Bay. Lambeau Field on Saturday night because we saw the 49ers knock off the Packers and another hopeful season for Green Bay that now falls short. Of the Super Bowl. Coming out of that game for me, I think Saturday night's loss is squarely on the shoulders of Aaron Rodgers. 
And that loss to me speaks to a larger point. Because now there's this discussion, now there's debate, is Aaron Rodgers done in Green Bay? Will he retire in general? Will he force a trade to another team? We don't know the future of Aaron Rodgers. But I do think that when we look at his to totality of his career, 14 years as a starting quarterback for the Packers, one Super Bowl appearance. Obviously, he won that Super Bowl. But making one Super Bowl in 14 years as a starter is a massive, massive underachievement. Aaron Rodgers has now underachieved for the talent he has in his career. I want to get to that point in a little bit, but I want to start off at least with this game specifically on Saturday night. Because here's why Aaron Rodgers is to blame. People want to get on the special teams. You want to get on, on the blocked punt and everything else. It's not the, uh, it's not the special teams. It's not the defense. Aaron Rodgers is to blame because this game should have never been as close as it was to where a special teams gaffe makes the difference. That Green Bay offense has to put the game away. You cannot allow a blocked punt return for a touchdown to all of a sudden make this a game. This game should have been already over with how pathetic and how much the um, San Francisco offense struggled. You score even two touchdowns. This game is over. And with the way you started the game, 10-play drive right down the field, going down, scoring a touchdown right away, setting the tone to not score another touchdown again is not only pathetic, and again, to me, puts the blame on Aaron Rodgers' shoulders for not delivering and not lifting this team. And this guy is going to be the two-time back-to-back MVP, one of the best players we've ever seen, but also now having one of the best seasons of his career. And at home in the playoffs, he scores one touchdown? Are you kidding me? Again, you're not asking for a Josh Allen effort like we saw last night or a Patrick Mahomes heroic effort like we saw last night. You don't need a Herculean game to lead the Packers to victory on Saturday night. That defense, the Green Bay defense, was dominant. I mean, we saw that for three and a half quarters, the 49ers couldn't move the ball. They didn't score an offensive touchdown the entire game. The 49ers offense scored six points. Six points, two field goals. When you have the MVP of your team at home in the playoffs, you got to rely. You got to count on the fact he's going to lead at least, at worst, two touchdowns. Bare minimum, I would say three. But instead, Aaron Rodgers really struggled. He allowed the 49ers to stay in the game. Because they had no business being in that game. Again, the defense is flying around the ball. 49ers aren't moving you know, up and down. They're not putting first downs together. They're barely getting over midfield. They're getting an interception in a big-time moment late in the first half when the 49ers are actually getting some momentum and actually moving the ball. And instead of putting the game away, and instead of, again, scoring one or two other touchdowns to where it's a comfortable lead and you're cruising, the lack of success on offense, led by Aaron Rodgers, only put more pressure on the defense, only put more pressure on the special teams to where one gaffe changed the entirety of the game. I mean, Aaron Rodgers allowed Jimmy G, who did not complete a pass, mind you, until midway through the second quarter. He didn't complete a pass. Until midway through the second quarter. And that quarterback and Jimmy G 
was more clutch than Aaron Rodgers on Saturday night. The quarterback who didn't have a passing touchdown, the quarterback who didn't help lead an offensive touchdown all game, ended up being the clutcher quarterback. How does that happen? How can you allow that to happen? That's why, to me, the blame is on Aaron Rodgers. Just a total no-show. You can't let that happen. You absolutely cannot let that happen. With all the drama that was caused in the offseason, with all the angst, to steal a word from Mike McCarthy, that Packers fans were feeling this past offseason wondering, is Aaron Rodgers going to retire? Is he going to force a trade? Is he going to be back? To have all that worry, all that attention on you for four months, come back, talk about how it's the last dance, do what you want to do, and then to to have all that drama and then to then in the big moment where you really separate yourself from the rest, where, where quarterback play becomes even magnified now and even more important in the postseason, we see you lay an egg. We see you come up short. We see Jimmy G make more big throws than Aaron Rodgers in Lambeau Field in the snow in January. Think about it. Jimmy G in that final drive that drained the, the final three minutes and seven seconds off the clock that helped put the 49ers in position to take the game-winning field goal, he made two huge throws in that drive. One to George Kittle, one to Debo Samuel. That was it. Jimmy Garoppolo made two big throws all game. And just those two throws were more clutch than Aaron Rodgers. And look at, look at how this, this Packers team ended the game. The final eight drives of the Packers season, eight drives, seven of, seven of the eight, the Packers either got one first down or zero first downs. One or zero first downs on seven out of the final eight drives of the game for the Packers. With Aaron Rodgers at quarterback. That's pathetic. That, to me, is why the blame is on Rodgers. You cannot have that performance in the postseason, in a game where your defense has been dominant. But you know what? Okay, he did. Let's call for what it is, right? For three and a half quarters, he really did struggle. And as we know, the blocked field goal happens. It's a tie game, 10-10. But you know what? Even after that blocked punt happened, even after the 49ers who had no business being in this game, tie the game at 10, there is still four minutes and 41 seconds left in the fourth quarter, and Aaron Rodgers is getting the ball. Again, he's an all-time great quarterback. He's an elite quarterback. He's about to be the back-to-back MVP of the NFL. You give him the ball with under five minutes left in a tie game, in a playoff game at home, you would think, you would assume he's got it. Packers are waking up on offense. They're scoring points. Rodgers is going to lead them down the field, and that's going to be the difference. They've been kind of sleepwalking through most of this game, but now that they're awake, now that it's like, oh, this is real, the 49ers are in this game, Aaron Rodgers is going to take the team down the field and lead them on a scoring drive that's going to be the difference in the game. And instead, instead, you know what the Packers did? Three and out. Bing, bang, boom. See you later. Get off the field. And even worse than just going three and out, is Aaron Rodgers was terrible. A huge missed read on third down where he threw up a deep ball to Devontae Adams. Double covered. Deep ball on third down. 
and did not see a wide open Alan Lazard 20 yards down the field in the middle of the field that would have gotten a first down, kept the chains moving, and would have really ripped off a huge chunk to where there's a lot of room, no one near him. He could have ran easily and gotten a field goal range. So even Aaron Rodgers, I think, was starting to feel the pressure. He was starting to lock on to where he goes, it's only Devontae, that's only where I'm going. Failed to read the middle of the field. Failed to find a wide open Alan Lazard with the season on the line. And instead gave the ball back to Jimmy G, who came up more clutch again in Lambeau Field than Aaron Rodgers. When you look at the sticks, when you look at how the defense played, and we look at how Aaron Rodgers played, that was by far the worst loss of his career. Worse than the Seahawks loss where Brandon Bostic drops the onside kick and allows the Seahawks to pull off a miracle victory. Worse than getting shredded by the 49ers a few years ago. Worse than last year where Tom Brady throws three picks in your own house and you still can't win. Saturday night was by far the worst loss of Aaron Rodgers' career. Because when you look at it, everything again lined up perfectly for Green Bay. The, The trip to the Super Bowl was put on a platter for them. They had a bye. The only team that had a bye in the NFC. They had the weather advantage. Again, you look at the three teams, the other three teams remaining. L.A., Tampa Bay, San Francisco. All warm weather climate teams. All teams that play either in good weather or in a dome. You had it snowing and below zero in Lambeau Field. You play in that. You thrive in that. This year and last year, both times the Packers got the number one seed. You had Aaron Rodgers in the lead up to that talking about how the weather's going to be a huge factor. Lambeau Field, you know, we got to get it. The colder, the better. It gives us an advantage. He always talks of playing in the cold, having it be a huge advantage to them. And guess what? He got what he wanted and couldn't come through. Forget the bye, forget the weather. The biggest advantage the Packers had going for them was health. They were getting healthy as every other team was suffering injuries. One of their best corner, the best corner on their team, one of the best in the NFL, Jair Alexander, returned to the lineup. I get he didn't play a ton. He still was on the field more than he wasn't. That was a huge get back for the Packers because they missed him for most of the years. Zedari Smith played one game in the regular season. He returned for the playoffs, even got himself a sack. His presence was felt. David Bakhtiari did not play. He was starting to get healthier, but was a late scratch. But you look at the 49ers, sure, they had Joey Bo- uh, Nick Bosa return from a concussion. You had Fred Warner out there playing on you know, a hurt ankle. Ambry Thomas, one of their better corners, out for the game. Like There was injuries the 49ers were dealing with to where the Packers were the healthier team. They were healthier than either the Rams and the Buccaneers as well if they won this game in advance. You know what? By the way, not only do you have the bye, not only do you have the weather helping your advantage, not only are you the healthier team, you also have the MVP quarterback on your side. The playoffs are truly where the quarterback play is a separator. The, the quarterbacks get $40 million a year. The reason why we pay so much attention to how quarterbacks play is because in the playoffs, that is where their, their difference and, and the presence is felt. That is truly where teams separate themselves when you can rely on your all-time great quarterback to lead you to victory. And guess what? It didn't happen. It didn't matter that Aaron Rodgers was 30 million times better than Jimmy G. He couldn't come through. But Green Bay had every advantage you could possibly ask for, and they still squandered it. They blew it. They absolutely blew it. And now when we talk about underachieving, when we talk about 
Aaron Rodgers not, you know, getting the most out of his talent and the most out of the opportunities that are presented to him, he, with that loss, now moves to 11-10 and 10 on the season. Uh, in the playoffs, excuse me. His career playoff record is 11-10. and 10. Aaron Rodgers, 11-10 and 10 in the postseason. He's in, he has, is part of the top 10 in terms of most playoff wins. Right? He is in part, uh, he is in that group in the top 10 with the most playoff victories. Of though, those top 10 quarterbacks with the most playoff victories in NFL history, Aaron Rodgers has the second worst win percentage. The second worst. Only Peyton Manning is worse at 14 and 13. But Aaron Rodgers at 11 and 10 is right there with Peyton Manning. And Peyton Manning got a lot of ridicule, a lot of criticism for how he plays in the regular season to, compared to how he plays in the postseason. And it's time to have that same energy for Aaron Rodgers. Because for someone who is so talented, someone who's about to win his fourth MVP, someone who is, I would say, the most talented quarterback to ever play the position, to have won a Super Bowl appearance in 14 seasons as a starter is a massive, massive under achievement they have gotten a ton of breaks they have always been you know a team that's consistently been in the playoffs they have gotten home field plenty of times they have lost home field plenty of times and now it starts it start you know it's time to start putting Aaron Rodgers under the microscope he has massively achieved for all the talent he has for all of the breaks he gets he is not taken advantage. He got one Super Bowl, right? Dan Marino would kill for one. Dolphins fans would kill for one. I get it. He got one. But one feels like a a failure. One Super Bowl for how good he is feels like a, an underachievement to me. So I'm curious your thoughts here. Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Aaron Rodgers loses again in the playoffs. In terms of Saturday, is he the most to blame? Is he the most to blame for Saturday's loss? And now when you look at his career, when you take a step back and look at the 14-year career of Aaron Rodgers, is making one Super Bowl an underachievement? Should we really start criticizing and be more critical of the fact that he made one Super Bowl in 14? years. Love to get your thoughts again. Facebook Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Twitter WWSRN underscore radio at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we do return here, I thought Joe Burrow to me on Saturday afternoon showed a lot of Tom Brady in his game. I'll explain what I saw when we do return here. Listen to the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show, right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. 20 minutes from now, Matthew Stafford. Do I got to say any more? The belief from day one has paid off. We'll discuss his heroic clutch play to best Tom Brady and the Buccaneers Yesterday in Tampa Bay, continue to move on in the NFL playoffs. So speaking of Tom Brady, I want to bring him up and I want to talk about it, but not about Tom Brady himself, but in relation to Joe Burrow and his play. The Bengals beat the Titans, advance to the AFC title game. And watching that game on Saturday, 
Joe Burrow, his play reminded me so much of Tom Brady in kind of two different areas. Number one, his unwavering confidence in himself, but also, too, as a culture changer. I truly do think this is crazy to say concerning the Bengals, and we've seen a lot of their losing ways, right, over the last 20, 30 years, right? Marvin Lewis, Andy, Andy Dalton, Carson Palmer, always losing the big game. We know the playoff drought's been there forever. But Joe Burrow changing the culture of Cincinnati, to me on Saturday, was a culture win for the Bengals. Nothing more than that. That was won by their belief in themselves. So to me, those are both Tom Brady-like qualities, Tom Brady-like traits that Joe Burrow does have, does possess, and that is why the Bengals, in year two of Joe Burrow, are moving on to the AFC title game and have, I think, a real chance of beating the Chiefs and moving on. So here's what I mean, because I thought Saturday was a straight-up culture win. Look at what... Tom, look at what Tom Brady, let me start that over. Holy smokes. We look at Saturday's win for the Bengals, right? And we, we talk about Tom Brady-like qualities. What does that mean? Because as we know, right, Tom Brady is the all-time most successful quarterback in history. So that's a, that's a huge comparison to call Joe Burrow and say Joe Burrow is Tom Brady-like qualities. But here's what I'm talking about. Because what makes Tom Brady the GOAT, what makes Tom Brady the most successful playoff quarterback we've ever seen is because he has an insatiable desire to win, right? That competitiveness he has drives him every single day. No one works harder. No one is more motivated than Tom Brady. No matter how he has played, good or bad, no matter how the team has played, good or bad, he continues to come back for more. He is never someone who will lay down and die. He will fight till the very last play of the game, and that in part goes with his unwavering belief and confidence in himself and in the team. No better example than 28-3. Falcons fans, I'm sorry. But that, that, that comeback in part shows no matter how you're playing up to that point, the game is never over. And that to me is what I saw on Saturday from Joe Burrow, that insatiable desire to win, the, the ability to keep on coming back and basically saying, more please, I will take more. And that unwavering belief and confidence in yourself and the team is what led the Bengals to winning this game. You look at Joe Burrow on Saturday, statistically, yeah, he threw for over 300 yards, but he had a really rough game. He had a very tough game. That was a total grind for Burrow and that Bengals offense. He was sacked nine times, nine times, which ties a postseason record. How many quarterbacks are winning a game when they are sacked nine times? He was hit 13 times in total, and he did not have a passing touchdown. So, again, he threw over 300 yards. That's a nice little window dressing to the game. But he had a really tough game on Saturday. It was a slog. It was a grind to keep on coming back, to keep on getting hit, to keep on getting up and trying to lead your team to victory. But despite the fact he was hit 13 times, despite the fact that the Titans tied a postseason record with nine sacks, his confidence, like Tom Brady, was never shaken. Every time he stepped on the field, he believed he was going to get the job done. He believed he was going to lead the Bengals on a touchdown drive, on a scoring drive, and win the game. And it may sound corny or cheesy, but that mindset, that belief, comes up huge in the situation the Bengals got when they got a massive break when Ryan Tannehill showed you why you should have no belief and no confidence in Ryan Tannehill in the playoffs. He throws a huge pick, an ill-advised pass, that was picked up by the Bengals with 20 seconds left. If you're Joe Burrow, 
and you are starting to feel gun shy, if you're starting to look down on the rush, if you're doubting yourself of being frustrated and kind of just saying, you know, screw it, this is this is not our game, this is not our time, you're not scoring with 20 seconds left. You're not getting the ball. No timeouts are thinking, you know what, we're going to win this game. But instead, Joe Burrow showed you, just like Tom Brady, he's a cold, uh, stone-cold assassin. You can beat him up all game long. You can take him down. You can try to, you know, talk crap to him. You can try to shake his confidence. But if you give him a chance to kill you, he will do it. It doesn't matter how he has played up through the first 59 minutes and 40 seconds of the game. If you give him one chance at a kill shot, he is going to take it. And to me, that's very Brady-like. Because again, we told you, it was a tough game for Joe Burrow. Nine sacks. 13 quarter hits. He was beat up. It's easy to have your confidence shaken. It's easy now to start thinking about yourself and think about protecting yourself, looking down on the rush instead of standing in the pocket confidently trying to make a play. And as we know, Joe Burrow absolutely did that. 20 seconds left, finds a, you know, a deep pass to Jamar Chase, gets out of bounds. And as we know, the Bengals line up to win the game. Kicks a field goal, and that's it. But speaking of kicking the field goal, speaking of lining up, I want to talk about and how talk about how Joe Burrow himself, how his influence has captured the entire team. Because again, I said it before in the open, I want to circle back to it. Joe Burrow has led this, this Bengals team to where that was a culture win in Cincinnati. Here's what I mean that when I say culture win. As we know, right, the playoff history for Cincinnati is very feeble. They don't have much success. They've been to one Super Bowl. They lost to the 49ers. They had that insane drought, right, with Marvin Lewis led at the helm where they did not win a playoff game. We always know every single time the Bengals get in the playoffs, oh, man, they haven't won a playoff game in so long, and that usually ends up being that they lose the game. So Joe Burrow comes in and has already changed the mindset of the team in just year two. You hear the players talk after the game, and you can basically hear Joe Burrow speaking through them. After the Bengals, when they got into the playoffs, and even after they beat the Raiders, a big slogan used by Bengals players and Bengals fans is, why not us? Right, a common phrase, usually an underdog. Hey, you know, you're an underdog team that gets hot. Why not us? How come we can't be the team to spoil the party and go on a run? Usually, that is saved for teams with a lot of doubt that are, you know, kind of play the underdog role. Well, you know what Joe Burrow said before even the game on Saturday? Before as the four seed going on, or, or yeah, the four seed going on in, into the number one seed's house. He said, guys, we're not saying why not us. That's a loser mentality. We are going to show everyone that we are a really, really good team. We are not underdogs. Think about how hard that is for a player in year two. Again, playing on a team with historically a lot of postseason failure. He's saying, we're not underdogs. Stop the why not us BS. We're a good team and we're going to show it. That confidence you have led by your quarterback is palpable. Because even in, again, in, a, in the playoffs, where you're going against the number one seed, Derrick Henry returns for the Titans. The crowd is going crazy. You had the, the Bengals come out right away, come out aggressive, play tough, and we're not afraid of the moment. This is a young team. This is a team with basically zero playoff experience. A lot of their best players are young. Joe Burrow in year two. Jamar Chase is a rookie. Joe Mixon is still very young. Tia Giggs is in year two. When you look at special teams, Evan McPherson is a rookie. A rookie kicker. 
And even he himself, with all the kicking woes we have seen, with all of the uneasiness and untrustworthiness we have with, with kickers, even in the NFL, you have Evan McPherson, a rookie kicker, with a game on his foot, saying before he eventually kicked the game-winning field goal to, uh, to send the Bengals to the AFC title game, he's out there on the field saying, all right, boys, looks like we're going to the AFC title game. Moments before he kicked the field goal. When have we ever heard a team exude that much confidence in themselves where they have never been there before? It's one thing for Patrick Holmes and the Chiefs to say, right? Because they've been at two Super Bowls. They've won one. They have, you know, many times have been to the big game and won. So it makes sense if you're a team like the Chiefs. If you were a team like the Patriots back when Brady and Belichick were still there, where you've had success and success and won the big game, that, yeah, we have confidence we're going to win. We have belief. We have a swagger about us that we're going to win because we've done so before. That's one thing. But for Joe Burrow to come in and change the culture of this Bengals team this year to where you have second-year guys and rookies basically saying, yeah, we got this. Yeah, we're going to win this game. We haven't been here before, but forget it. This is our game. We're going to win it. That is real. And to me, that is Tom Brady-like. Because for all the greatness of Tom Brady, I think his greatest attribute is his mindset, is his ability to rally everyone and make everyone around him better. Sure, that's partly skill, right? That's partly reading defenses and working on timing routes and, and making sure the offense is humming. But a lot of that also is instilling belief in the players around you. The playoffs are a seesaw, right? As we know, up and down, the motions fly. When you're 16-6, to six, when the Bengals are winning that game in firm control, it's easy, to say, it's easy to say, yeah, we got this. Yeah, we have confidence. But as we saw late in that game, right, you have a field goal by the Titans. Joe Burrow throws a pass that should have been caught a little high, tipped, intercepted. All of a sudden, next thing you know, this game flips on its head. Ryan Tannehill throws a touchdown pass, and it's 16-16. You're sitting there. It's easy for the Bengals. It's easy for a young team in Cincinnati. Like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. The moment's coming. The momentum is here. The Titans have it. And you know what? It's too much for us to overcome. We've had a great run. We won the division. We won a playoff game. No one expected that. You know what? We'll bow it here, and we'll, we'll come back better next year. Joe Burrow did not allow that mindset to creep in. The guy's in year two. And his confidence is exuding through the entire team to where, again, in the postgame, they stopped saying, why not us? They're trying to show everyone we're a damn good team. Put some respect on our name. That starts with the quarterback. That starts with leadership. Like, let's not forget Two years ago, this team was 2-14. and 14. This team was hapless. This team took Joe Burrow number one overall, but had no real belief that a, a turnaround was going to come this quickly. And now we're sitting here two years later. Not only are they in the AFC title game, they expect to be in the AFC title game. That is a confidence, that is a swagger that not only is rare, it's also contagious. When you have Joe Burrow constantly in practice and during the game telling guys we're good, telling guys we deserve to be here, telling guys we're going to make a play, you believe it. You absolutely believe it. It's exactly what Tom Brady did for two decades, both in, uh, in Tampa and New England. Look, look, look at Tom Brady going to uh, Tampa Bay. That was an organization that was rudderless, that was lost. They had talent, but as you know, they didn't know how to win. You bring Tom Brady in there, 
and all of a sudden they win a Super Bowl. The confidence he inspires in everyone else has them believing. Even though the Buccaneers, really, outside of Tom Brady, have had very little playoff experience, have never really played in a big game. They were confident on the big stage. They didn't unravel or, or shrivel up in any of the playoff games, even in the Super Bowl. Because when you have a leader of Tom Brady's stature believing and instilling confidence in yourself, you're going to believe it. And Joe Burrow has done the same thing. His confidence has spread to the entire team. It's the biggest reason why the Bengals are 60 minutes away from the Super Bowl. Super Bowl. And that to me is all on Joe Burrow. And that all to me, it kind of goes shows you. His confidence, his leadership, his swagger to me is very Brady-like. You can't break his will. He's going to keep on getting him. No matter how hard you hit him, you can talk all the trash you want, you can continue to knock him down, he will continue to pop back up and keep on coming back for more. You can't shake his confidence. And again, if you give him one opportunity to kill you, stole, cold, assassin, he'll do it. Ask the Titans, 20 seconds, boom, 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 your season's over. Over. You set a record for playoff sacks. Congratulations. It meant nothing. It absolutely meant nothing. Because in the end, you gave Jerbo one more chance and he took advantage. That is Brady-like. And again, to have the confidence, not only in yourself, but then exude that confidence, have the rest of your team believing. Yeah, we can win this game. Yeah, we deserve to be here. Yeah, we're better than the Titans. Yeah, we're better than the Raiders. I bet you this week, though, they are thinking it to themselves, we are better than the Chiefs and we're going to win this game. That confidence is not only contagious, it's real. It goes to show that Joe Burrow leadership is, is something that, again, to me, is something we haven't really seen outside of Tom Brady. That was my biggest takeaway coming out of Saturday's game was, man, this could be Tom Brady 2.0. Cincinnati got themselves a real one. Eight, uh, I was going to say, well, I've been hosting a few shows on CBS Sports. We're not giving any numbers here. Really, though, so if you want to comment on Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. Joe Burrow, does he remind you of Tom Brady? Are the Bengals, are you giving them a chance this week in Arrowhead Stadium to win the game? Facebook, Worldwide Sports Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we do return here, there's one quarterback that has gotten a lot of heat, that has gotten a lot of criticism, and he put that all to bed on Sunday afternoon. We'll tell you who that is and why. We do return you listening to the Ryan K. Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our number two of the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As always, the 10 a.m. hour Eastern is sponsored by LC Designs. Charcuterie boards are per for all occasions. So make sure your guests are happily fed with some delicious and aesthetically pleasing charcuterie boards made by Lauren Clark. So check out lcdesignsnyc.com for more information. The Rams did it. And more importantly, Matthew Stafford did it. 
I thought Sunday finally showed you, for those doubters out there, he is the dude. No more conversations about Matthew Stafford questioning whether he can be relied upon in the postseason. No more referencing his 0-3 playoff record with the Detroit Lions. No more referencing his record against winning teams in his career. And no more calling him a stat compiler. Matthew Stafford, if you were a doubter yesterday, showed you he's a prime-time player. And not only that, he is the only reason why the Rams' season is still ongoing. He is the only reason why the Rams are hosting the NFC title game against the 49ers. Because you know what he did yesterday afternoon? Oh, excuse me. So excited. I'm hitting the camera around. Here's what he did yesterday. He answered two major questions. Because all year long, we've been hearing about Matthew Stafford what? Can he play well enough to lead the Rams in the playoffs? Can he come up clutch when the team needs him most? If you're listening to this show, you know. All season long, I've been on the Matthew Stafford bandwagon. The Rams are my preseason pick to win the Super Bowl. As soon as the trade went down back in January, I believe it was January, maybe February, when the Rams acquired Matthew Stafford in the trade with the Lions. Told you right then and there, Rams to me are the team to beat the NFC. They are by far the best. Matthew Stafford's going to show out now that he's on a real team. He is going to capitalize and make the most of it. And guess what? There was a lot of doubts all season long. A lot of questions on Matthew Stafford. And he, last night, showed you, you can believe in him. He showed you, he absolutely can be the guy in a big moment to come up and lead a team in the playoffs in order to advance to get the job done. There is no more now. Questioning on Matthew Stafford, no more worrying, can he get the job done or not? Because in the biggest game of his career, he got the job done. Look at the stats, 28 to 38. So he's very efficient. 366 passing yards, three total touchdowns. And just as importantly, as those three total touchdowns, as the 366 yards, as going 20 for 38, he had zero, zero INTs. That led, as we know, the Rams taking a 27-3 halftime lead. He showed you right there in the first half and early in the second half, he can excel in the playoffs and lead a team. Going against the GOAT and Tom Brady. Already beat him once. Todd Bowles and the defense saw what Matthew Stafford did. Well, now they had a chance to game plan against it and slow him down. And instead, he picked up right where he left off. From that week three game, lit up the Buccaneers secondary and was able to, again, in a big moment, lead the Rams and show them he can absolutely take a team in the playoffs and be the reason why they lose. But just as importantly, though, as the 366 yards, as the three total touchdowns, as the zero interceptions, and as leading your team to a 27 to 3 lead on the road in the playoffs, Matthew Stafford just as importantly showed you when the walls come crashing down. When the momentum has left your team, and basically your team is in a dire state, Matthew Stafford can stare down the barrel and come through. Because in that second half, the Rams, I think, were trying to lose the game. They were doing everything, literally everything possible 
to give the game away. They saw what the Falcons did losing 28-3 to or blowing a 28-3 to lead in the Super Bowl. And they said, how can we one-up that? How can we make sure Tom Brady gets a similar comeback here in the postseason and what could be, could be, I doubt it, but what could be, his final year in the NFL. Four total fumbles, one by Cam Akers right before halftime that killed and really could have put the game away and killed any sort of momentum in terms of going up big time at halftime instead of just 20-3, should have been 23-3 or 27-3. Four total fumbles. There, The Rams had a 47-yard field goal that wasn't missed. It came up short. Short. 47-yard field goal that was short. Four fumbles, and again, you're going against Tom Brady. You're giving him on a silver platter reason after reason after reason to come back in this game. And you want to Tom Brady's credit? It took him a while. Not every uh, mistake to capitalize on, but Tom, excuse me, Tom Brady eventually did what Tom Brady does best and was able to get the team back in the game. And after Leonard Fournette ran in on fourth and inches, Ran it for the touchdown that tied the game at 27 with under a minute left. The entire momentum swung to Tampa Bay. Those 42 seconds were really what prevented the Rams from winning and losing. Because if that game gets to overtime, I don't think the Rams have a shot. They looked shell-shocked. Matt, you know, Sean McVay all of a sudden looked like he was seeing ghosts. The Rams offense didn't know how to hold on to the ball. The Rams defense just completely collapsed. They looked exhausted, couldn't get much pressure on Tom Brady. He's sitting back there picking apart the secondary. If that game got to overtime, even if the Rams got the ball first, I don't think the Rams have a shot. But Matthew Stafford yesterday did what great quarterbacks do. Drag your team or on the precipice of an epic collapse and instead single-handedly carry them to victory. Because he made on that 44-yard completion of Cooper Cup, not only did he make the greatest throw of his career in the biggest game of his career, he did so with pressure in his face. And Dominic, if you rewatch that play, was right in Stafford's face, about to take him down for a sack. And if he gets sacked, that game's probably going to overtime, and that game, like I said, is over. The Rams are not winning that game with all the momentum, all the confidence sliding from the Rams' perspective for three quarters, now on Tampa Bay side. I don't think if that game gets overtime, uh, the Rams are coming out with a victory. So you had Matthew Stafford, after getting sacked, it would look like a quarterback draw on first down with 42 seconds left, not having any timeouts left. To throw that out to Cooper Cup for 20 yards, get the, the offense going and settle everyone down, and then again, in the face of pressure, in a game where the Rams are ready to collapse and go to L.A. licking their wounds with an all-time playoff collapse, Matthew Stafford said, not so fast, don't worry guys, I got it. And put and dropped a 44-yard dime to Cooper Cup right in the basket to win in the game. Considering the pressure, considering the circumstances, I don't think there are five other quarterbacks making that throw in that moment. Matthew Stafford showed you he is an elite primetime quarterback in the postseason. He absolutely can be relied upon. Again, this is a, a career-defining game for Stafford. All career long, he's been said he, he's a stack compiler. He can put up nice numbers. He can't be relied upon in the playoffs. And down or up 27-3 and watching the Buccaneers go on a 24-0 on a run to tie the game 
he could have easily folded in the moment. He could have easily packed it up and said, you know what, not our, not our game. We made too many mistakes. Not him, not Matthew Stafford, but the rest of the team made too many mistakes. We'll try to get him next year when everything else lines up. He single-handedly pulled the Rams from defeat and carried them to the next round. That was impressive. That is a beyond clutch win, a beyond clutch performance for Matthew Stafford. Like I said, five quarterbacks maybe are pulling that drive out of their you-know-what and leading them to victory. That's how impressed I was with Matthew Stafford. That is a big, big, big-time performance. And if you're a doubter, if you were a non-believer, it's time to start believing, man, because this guy is the truth. He can do it. Because it's not just even yesterday, too. Even in the first game against the Cardinals, I know he only threw the ball 17 times. And the 17 attempts were the fewest of his career. So he didn't have to really do much, especially with the way just the, the Cardinals offense self-destructed and, and decombusted. But Matthew Stafford, again, showed you now in two playoff games. He can absolutely be the reason why the Rams win the game. He can absolutely get out of the way and not be the reason the Rams lose games. Because even in that first game as the Cardinals, the defense was completely dominating. And really, they, they won the, the game by themselves. But also, too, the offense was humming. The run game with Cam Akers was working. And Matthew Stafford was asked, hey, just don't screw it up in that game. Made some few big chunk plays, took advantage when the Cardinals sell to stop the run. And he, again, sprinkled in a few touchdown passes, uh, quarterback sneak himself. But he didn't turn the ball over. He did not give the Rams a, or give the Cardinals a reason to get back in the game. And that's not easy to say because Stafford, the last month of the season, has really struggled in that department. Eight touchdowns, eight picks. In the final month of the year, through a few against the Vikings, a few against the Ravens, he really was giving the ball away, kind of like Oprah Winfrey. Very generous. He was in a giving mood, in the holiday spirit, if you will, the last month of the season. And that, again, kind of led, even though the Rams are pulling some of these games out, it led to some apprehension. It led to some doubts for the Rams in the playoffs. But guess what? Stafford showed you in the big-time moment, he can block all that out, Mentally, he's tough, which again, that was a question. Can Matthew Stafford overcome some you know, circumstances that aren't going his way? Can he mentally be tough enough to push through some adversity and get to the other side you know, with a victory? And he absolutely did that. Because let's go for what it is. I thought, one, Matthew Stafford didn't really get a chance to cook in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter. The Rams got extremely conservative. And two, because of the mistakes, the Cooper Cup fumble, the second Cam Akers fumble, the snap over his head where the, the center snapped in when Matthew Stafford wasn't ready, he didn't even get many opportunities to put the game away on his own right arm in the fourth quarter. Like, the ball was basically taken out of his hands. By the way, the Rams were, were chewing clock and fumbling the football. So Matthew Stafford really, in the only opportunity he got in the fourth quarter to win the game, came through. Sean McVay, I thought, got a little bit conservative in the fourth quarter. You kept hearing um, Chris Collinsworth say multiple times, or, or Joe Buck, excuse me, and, and, and Troy Aikman. And, and Drew, oh, no. Yeah, it was NBC. Kept say, uh, Chris Collinsworth saying multiple times, keep running your offense. It's easy in that moment when you look at the clock and you see kind of Tom Brady starting to wake up a little bit, getting this, getting this Buccaneers offense going. It's easy to say we're going to run the ball three times, we're going to chew clock, and we're not going to make a mistake. It's easy when you remember Matthew Stafford against the Vikings, through some ugly picks, against the Ravens, through some bad picks. Earlier in the stretch, 
and when he's throwing, you know, pick sixes in three consecutive games, it's easy to remember. Uh, Matthew Stafford, a big moment, hasn't been up clutch. Let's just get super conservative. And the Rams start to did the, uh, start to do that, and that also helped, you know, fuel the Buccaneers' comeback. But to Stafford's credit, in the short opportunity he got in the fourth quarter with 42 seconds left in one timeout, he absolutely got the job done. He came up clutch and, again, scored the biggest win of his career. Of his career. Coming on the biggest throw of his career. So much props, so much kudos goes to Stafford in that win because, again, he's not, you know, the Rams aren't winning that game. If Stafford's on your quarterback and they're like five. Oh, excuse me. I think there are five quarterbacks in the NFL right now that are leading that team to victory. And I wouldn't even put Aaron Rodgers in that category. I would not. After seeing what we just saw on Saturday night, he had the opportunity and did not. Matthew Stafford came up clutch. Kudos to him. Kudos to the Rams. They beat Tom Brady and the Buccaneers season. No more repeat Super Bowl champion. And now the Rams don't have to leave LA ever again this season. At home against the 49ers. Win that game at home for the Super Bowl. All because of Matthew Stafford and his ability to come up clutch. So how about yourself? Do you finally, if you were a doubter, if you were a non-believer, if you were a skeptic, do you finally now have respect for Matthew Stafford? Can we finally stop, you know, or finally bury the Lions days Barry is his former playoff record when, again, he's playing on one of the most, for the most hapless organizations in the NFL. And can we finally give some well-deserved praise and respect to number nine on LA? Because that performance yesterday deserves all the accolades, deserves all of the, the credit that goes his way. So love to hear your thoughts on Matthew Stafford, Facebook, Worldwide Sports Radio Network, Twitter, WWSRN underscore radio, at Ryan Hickey Show on Twitter as well. When we do return, there's so much to get into here. We got to do so in quick hits. Bounce around the NFL, hit on a few different notes and quotes, including Jimmy Garoppolo had maybe the ugliest but clutch game. And I want to show you, point out one thing. Speaking of Jimmy G, he was so clutch this season that even the Packers defense was scared of him on that final drive. I'll tell you why that happened. And a big play that Jimmy Garoppolo, even though he didn't throw the ball, had an impact on when we do return and listen to the Ryan K Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show. Quick hits time. On a Monday, reacting to the greatest weekend of playoff football we have ever seen. And I'll be honest here, I really thought coming out of the Chiefs-Bills game last night, the one thing we wouldn't be talking about a ton, the one thing that I thought we were all over was overtime rules, and is it fair that a coin flip decides the game? This is the dumbest argument I, I think we've ever, we, we always have uh, on Twitter and in, in general when it comes to football overtime. The NFL overtime rules are fine. A coin flip doesn't decide the game because guess what? The defense gets paid too. 
If you can't prevent a touchdown on one drive of the season on the line or the game on the line, you don't deserve to win. I'm sorry. It's not that hard. It's really not that hard. Preventing a touchdown from being scored is not that tall of a task in order for your team to get the ball back. So to me, the overtime rules are perfect. Score a touchdown, the game's over, fine. Punt, field goal, the other team gets an opportunity. That's fair. Defenses get paid too. If you're a Bills fan bitching about the overtime rules yesterday, guess what? You know what I got to tell you? Get a stop at 13 seconds left. Don't allow the Chiefs with their season over. 13 seconds left to drive down the field to score the game-winning uh, or the, the game-tying field goal. Are you kidding me? You can't be complaining about overtime rules today. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And guess what? When you get to overtime with your number one defense and your number one scoring defense and your number one third down defense, maybe live up to those statistical honors you've achieved. Maybe back up those rankings by getting a stop. I mean, you, come on. One stop with their season on the line, I don't think it's unfair at all. Not to mention, something happened to the Chiefs a few years ago. Patriots-Chiefs 2018 AFC title game. Patriots scored late, won the toss in overtime. Patrick Holmes never saw the ball. It happened, sorry. Football, what do we always hear? Football is the ultimate team sport. Overtime rules personify that. If you, can't have a, if you don't have a very good defense, you don't deserve to win. Sorry. Sorry. That's how it works. We can praise the defense for getting stops. We can praise the defense for, you know, suffocating another offense. But if your defense can't get a stop, you don't deserve to win the game. I can't even believe we're having this conversation. It's the stupidest conversation in, in football, to be honest. The overtime rules are fine. A coin flip does not decide the game. Your defense decides the game. They get paid to make a stop. Overtime rules are absolutely fine. I don't want to hear about them ever again. I don't hear anyone complain. No, by the way. If you do complain, guess what? The NFL and your team had a chance to change them, and they didn't. Bills fans, your team had a chance to change the rules, and they didn't. After that 20 AFC, uh, 2018 AFC title game, the Chiefs proposed a rule in overtime that both teams get the ball. Guess who shot that down? Every other team in the NFL. All 31 other teams said, now nah, we like the rules the way they are. So you want to be mad, Bills fans? Blame your own team. Blame your own team a few years ago for not changing the rules. That's on you. That's especially on your defense. No one else. Not a coin flip. Not stupid rules. That is how the game works. Get a stop. If you don't like it, play better defense. Get a better defense. So I got to say to you. I'm sorry. That, that, that I have no patience or tolerance for overtime discussion that is happening late after the game yesterday, after a tremendous game, and early this morning. How about Ryan Tannehill, man? And he is by far the biggest thing holding the Titans back. I tried to warn you on Thursday. Tried to warn you right here on the Ryan Hickey Show on Thursday. Why did I pick the Bengals to win? I told you. Derek Henry coming back after missing two and a half months with a, with a foot, with a foot injury. Um, playing with metal plate in his foot. And having the first game back be a playoff game with no real warm-up. No real, you know, way to eat yourself in the lineup. He's not going to be effective. I think I said, what, 16 carries for 65 yards is what I expect Derrick Henry to have. Well, he had 20 carries for 62 yards. He was ineffective. And guess what? 
When he is ineffective, Ryan Tannehill is not a guy you can rely on in the playoffs. He is actually awful in the playoffs. He is terrible. In the two playoff wins the Titans have in Ryan Tannehill's career, he has combined to throw four or complete 15 passes. Combined. Both Titans wins were on Derrick Henry and the defense. Ryan Tannehill had zero impact on those wins. In the two losses, now three losses, coincidence or not, I say not, Ryan Tannehill or, or Derrick Henry has been held to under 100 yards in all three games, and Ryan Tannehill has been unable to lead the Titans, and it happened yet again. Three interceptions by Ryan Tannehill. When you put the game in his hands, the guy can't come up clutch. First play of the game. Boom, there's an interception. Final offensive play of the game. Threw an ill-advised pick to where the receiver was covered. Eli Apple, of all people, is making plays. That was an awful decision and awful throw. And even before the pick was thrown, Mike Vrabel, the Titans head coach, showed you how little faith he had in Ryan Tannehill. Why? In that two-minute drill, there was no urgency. There was no no-huddle offense. They were taking their time. Mike Vrabel approached approach that two-minute offense like they were just playing for overtime. The clock was running down. They weren't using any timeouts. They weren't in any rush. And on that third down, again, there's 20 seconds left when the Bengals got the pick. They were very content, the, uh, the Titans where Mike Vrabel was, of going overtime because he didn't trust Ryan Tannehill. He didn't trust Ryan Tannehill in a two-minute drill with, this, with the game on the line to lead the Titans in a field goal range to get a game-winning field goal. And guess what? Mike Vrabel was right. He had no reason to trust Tannehill because Tannehill, on that drive, as we know, boom, throws a pick. He is the biggest thing holding the Titans back. But guess what? I don't think there's much of an upgrade. This is where you truly kind of see, the again, the value of a franchise quarterback. Stafford with the Rams. Josh Allen with the Bills. Patrick Holmes with the Chiefs. Joe Burrow with the Bengals. You see those guys lead their team to victory, or in Josh Allen's case, should have led their team to a victory. And then you see guys like Ryan Tannehill along for the ride, who when you put the pressure on them, just collapses, folds. But the thing is, for the Titans, they did get the number one seed. Sure, a lot of it's on the run game, but they did go 6-3 without Derrick Henry. Now, not that a lot of that was on Ryan Tannehill. But where is the upgrade? Obviously, Aaron Rodgers, yes. Obviously, Russell Wilson, yes. Deshaun Watson is obvious, but he's individually not going to get traded to the Titans. There's not a huge name or upgrade that says, that's the guy we need. Kirk Cousins is, is a better stack compiler than Ryan Tannehill, but the same kind of player. Jimmy G, and that's a guy that's sure, probably the Titans I'd go get. But outside of that, there's really no true upgrade. Ryan Tannehill is what Ryan Tannehill is. As a Colts fan, I hope he stays in the division for another decade. Extend him again, Titans. Keep uh, Ryan Tannehill in Nashville because as long as he is there, Titans for sure as hell aren't coming anywhere near a Super Bowl. By the way, sticking with this game, I want to hit on it quickly another angle. The Titans did not lose this game because they went for a two-point conversion. I saw this on Twitter, and it was driving me insane on Saturday afternoon. Earlier in the game, Derrick Henry in the second quarter scores a touchdown, right? It is 6-6. Six to six. There was an offsides penalty to where, on the field goal, on the ensuing extra point, to where the Titans, correctly so, 
chose to move the ball from the two-yard line to the one-yard line and go for two. They bypassed extra point and said, we're going to get one play for the one-yard line to go for two. We're going to do it. They got stuffed. Derrick Henry ran the ball, did not make it. That is absolutely the right call to do. If you are, if you are anyone on that sideline, on the, on the Titans sideline, and you were given the opportunity, hey, you have one play from the one-yard line. If you get it, you get two points. You'd be insane not to take it. You got Derrick Henry. You've got an offensive line that can make a push. you got a defensive line in the Bengals that isn't known for being a run stuffer. You take a, a chance from the one-yard line to get two points over an extra point every single time. But, of course, everyone loves to live in hindsight. Everyone loves to, to look back and say, oh, well, if the Titans kick the extra point instead of going for two, late in the game, Ryan Tannehill's not throwing the ball. Late in the game, they're kneeing at the clock instead of having Ryan Tannehill throw and have a pick that, again, led to their loss. The Titans did not lose the game because they failed on a two-point conversion in the second quarter. You make that move 10 out of 10. The biggest thing you criticize the Titans for is lack of execution. How you didn't get Derrick Henry in the end zone from the one-yard line. That's pathetic. That is what you can criticize the Titans for. Mike Verbal made the absolute right call in going for two from the one-yard line with the best running back in the NFL when he's healthy. You do it 11 times out of 11. 100 times out of 100. That's just on the lack of execution and the Titans for not getting it more than is being the wrong decision. I can't believe how many people on Twitter are criticizing Rabel for that decision. One yard with Derrick Henry. You'd be stupid not to take that. And that, that drove me insane. I couldn't believe the amount of tweets late in the game when Ryan Tannehill threw that pick saying, took the extra point. Guess what? Titans are up by one and they're, uh, they're not throwing the ball. Stupid. Absolutely stupid. And finally, I want to give a lot of credit to Jimmy Garoppolo. Honestly, each and every week, I respect Jimmy G more and more. Yes, he is inconsistent. Yes, he throws at least one throw and one pick a game. We're like, what the earth are you doing? Why would you throw that? He had one on Saturday night in the only drive in the first half the 49ers got a first down on. He threw a pick right before the end zone. It was awful. Cost a chance at three points, at least for the 49ers. So he is inconsistent in his play during the game. But here's one area he has been consistent in throughout his entire career. That is being clutched late in games. All season long, he has been able to overcome adversity to lead the 49ers to victory. Saturday night was the perfect example. He did not complete a pass in the game until midway through the second quarter. Midway through the second quarter, he didn't complete a pass. He was terrible to start the game. No one was getting open. The offensive line was getting beat like a drum. All the momentum was on Green Bay's side. Even in the totality of the game, look at the final score. On offense, the 49ers managed just two field goals. Jimmy G was sacked four times. Despite the lack of... Um, success in offense, despite the fact when they got the ball with three minutes and one second left on the clock in the fourth quarter when it's a tie game, to that point, the 49ers got only three points. They only scored one time on offense. Despite all of that, Jimmy G, again, still had confidence and still came through when the moment mattered the most. Two big throws, one to George Kittle, one to Debo Samuel, got the drive going. 
move the 49ers into Packers territory. And do you know how much the Packers respect Jimmy G? Do you know how much respect Jimmy G has garnered around the league? That third and seventh play, right? The, the handoff to Debo Samuel, he got the first down and iced the game and put the 49ers in field goal position. Do you know why Debo Samuel was able to get the first down on that third and seven run? It's because the Packers were in a dime defense. They were afraid of the pass. They respected Jimmy G so much. They put more defensive backs on the field than linebackers. They were more afraid of the pass than the run. Playing against a quarterback and Jimmy G, who they have dominated the entire game, playing against an offense that is run heavy. In the biggest moment of the game, because Jimmy G throughout this entire season has come up clutch and has made huge throws for the 49ers all game long. The Packers were so scared of Jimmy G beating them, they put a dime defense on the field, which allowed Debo Samuel and the offensive line and the blockers to get the correct blocks, and they were able to get, what, nine yards on that third and seven? That's why the 49ers picked it up. Because the Packers' defense was afraid of Jimmy G. That is respect for you. That shows you, to me at least, Jimmy G all season long has done a tremendous job. It could be ugly through the second and third quarters, but in the fourth quarter when you need your team, when you need a drive and a throw, Jimmy G has consistently made the drive. He has consistently made the throw. And again, nothing's more evident than the Packers on third and seven playing for the pass in a situation where the, the 49ers and Kyle Shannon said after the game was scared to death to give Aaron Rodgers the ball back with any time on the clock. That's why they ran the ball. And that's why the 49ers got the first down, got in a field goal range and won the game. Because of the fear in the, 40, uh, in the Packers defense of Jimmy Garoppolo. Give him some respect. Give him some respect. He's going to get traded. I think he should. In the end of the season. But to knock this guy, he is one of those players that does rise up in the big moment. He has faced adversity all season long. And he's overcome it. Think about it. Your team that you led to the Super Bowl two years ago trades an arm and a leg to move up to get Trey Lance. You're not guaranteed to be the starting, you know, the starter. You have Trey Lance start two games this year because you're hurt. Everyone in the fan base is ready for Trey Lance to start. And you, again, all season long, make the big throws when it matters. Got off to a slow start this year. The, the 49ers were 3-5. and five. And Jimmy G, to his credit, has been able to lead them back and again, make big-time throws when asked and relied upon and led the help lead this 49ers to the NFC title game. Jimmy G, man, the respect I have for him continues to grow more and more each game. So we return here on the Ryan Hickey Show. I want to get into two things. I want to get into the Bills defense coming up small, and I want to get into Aaron Rodgers underachieving throughout his career. We'll discuss both of those when we return. It's the Ryan Hickey Show right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Welcome back to the Ryan Hickey Show. Right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And welcome back into the Ryan Hickey Show on a Monday morning coming off of what was by far the best weekend of playoff football we have ever seen. 
All four games decided at the on the final play of the game. Three walk-off field goals from all three visiting teams, Evan McPherson of the Bengals, Robbie Gold of the of the 49ers, and Matt Gay of the Rams. And then an all-time classic. The best of the four, one of the best overtime, or just one of the best football games we have ever seen. Chiefs, Bills going down to the wire, where 13 seconds was still enough time for Patrick Holmes to keep the game alive, send it to overtime, and as we know, they drive down the field to win the game. I want to speak about that 13 seconds. I want to speak about truly what an epic collapse the Buffalo Bills defense had. I've been calling them frauds all season long. I thought for me the Buffalo Bills defense was a classic case of a team that is able to play really well against some of the worst offenses. Against the Washington football team, against the Dolphins, against the Jets, against the Texans. They can play great football, shut them down, put up some gaudy numbers in terms of shutouts, in terms of sacks, in terms of interceptions and turnovers and limiting the amount of yards they get. But when it comes to playing True playoff caliber defenses. The Buffalo Bills defense cannot be relied upon. And as we saw, that happened in the big moment yesterday. Total frauds, and they let them down in the biggest moment of the season. Look at the Bills statistically. They are number one in terms of total defense, number one in terms of scoring defense, number one in terms of third down defense. Pretty damn good. That should be a defense you can rely upon if you are Sean McDermott, if you're Leslie Frazier, hell, if you're Josh Allen, and you just played the game of your life, poured it all out of the field, and gave your team opportunity after opportunity to take the lead and win the game, that should be enough of a, a, a not even a cushion, but having the number one statistical defense should be enough to have you believe, have faith, have you win the game. And instead, the Buffalo Bills defense, like they did all in the regular season, anytime they played a potent offense, they disappeared when you needed them the most. It ruined what was supposed to be a coronation for Josh Allen. It ruined what was supposed to be for the Bills, getting over the hump, kind of beating your arch nemesis, if you will, even though it's a budding rivalry. But truly now, take down the kings of the AFC and plant your flag that the Buffalo Bills are right there with the Chiefs. It is going to be those two teams running the conference for the next 10 years. And instead, the Bills defense showed you it is still the Chiefs conference. They still run it. The AFC goes through Kansas City. Because they got the easiest assignment they may ever have with a game on the line. 13 seconds left. Do not allow a field goal to Patrick Holmes' company, and you are going to the AFC title game. You are hosting the AFC title game in Buffalo with a chance to go to the Super Bowl for the first time in almost 30 years. And instead, Bill's defense came up short. Bill's defense did what they've been doing all season long, coming up small in the big moment. 13 seconds left. It's almost impossible not to get the job done. Look, a lot of credit goes to Andy Reid and Patrick Holmes and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill for getting the Chiefs in position and capitalizing on that, on that Bills defense to move them into field goal range. But are you kidding me if you're the Buffalo Bills? What the hell are you doing on defense? To play a, a prevent-style defense 
and allow chunk plays, allow the Chiefs to get out of bounds on the first play, allow Travis Kelsey to work one-on-one in the middle of the field to give him the middle of the field. The Bills' defense was playing like they almost forgot the Chiefs had timeouts. I rewatched that last play in the break. The play to Travis Kelsey that went for 25 yards and got them into field goal range. The Chiefs' defense, or the Bills' defense, gave up the entire middle of the field. You can't allow that to happen. You cannot have the number one defense in the NFL have such a massive gaff like that that, again, gives a potent offense opportunities to stay alive. When you're the number one defense in the NFL, you have to make that stop. No excuses. And again, the, uh, the Bills defense showed you they're not the number one defense in the NFL. They are total frauds. Total, total, total frauds. Because you allowed the Chiefs offense to go 44 yards in 10 seconds. 10 seconds. Seize it on the line. Chance to slay the dragon. Chance to get a a big-time win in an all-time classic game that's going to be replayed for the next century. People are going to be telling their grandkids about. Instead, you can't hold Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs offense down for 13 seconds. That should never be enough time for any offense, no matter what the situation, no matter who's on the other side. That should never be enough time for them to move the ball down the field 44 yards in 10 seconds. Leslie Fraser, Sean McDermott, all, every single player on that Bills defense deserves blame for what they did, that absolute choke job in the final 13 seconds. But that's not even, you know, that, that's bad enough, I should say. But then in overtime, you still have a chance to turn the tide. That field goal did not win the game. I get you're down. I get you're frustrated. But the game is still alive. You still have a chance to redeem yourself because guess what? If the Bills defense in overtime, either holds the Chiefs to a punt, gets a turnover on downs, or holds them to a field goal, you give Josh Allen, the man who's playing, again, the game of his life, who's now playing and having confidence to where there is no shot, I believe, if Josh Allen got the ball back, that he's uh, scoring anything less than a touchdown. That Bills offense, if they were able to touch the ball in overtime, whether they won the toss or got a stop on defense, they were scoring a touchdown. They were winning the game without a doubt in my mind. That's how good, that's how deadly, that's how on point Josh Allen was the entire game. And that's just how shook that Chiefs team was. They weren't getting any pressure on him late in the game. Gabe Davis is is Jerry Rice reincarnated on the field. The Bills were scoring a touchdown if they touched the ball in overtime. And the Bills defense, again, just hold them to a field goal. You can allow them to score. Don't allow it to be a touchdown. Instead, allow the Chiefs to march eight plays, 75 yards down the field, Plenty of blown assignments, allowed chunk plays in almost every single play, and they didn't stand a chance. The number one defense in the NFL allowed 10 points when they absolutely couldn't do so and absolutely choked. You need to step up. You need as the number one defense in the NFL to show that. And instead, like I said, all season long, the Bills defense showed their total frauds. The reason why I was skeptical about the the Bills going to the playoffs the reason why I picked the Patriots to win in the wild card round and the reason why I picked the Chiefs to win in the divisional round was because I was nervous about how one-dimensional Buffalo was Josh Allen is a great quarterback and I got to eat a lot of crow for my doubt about Josh Allen I'll be completely honest here 
But when you look at how the Bills' offense is having success, when you look at how the Bills' team is having success, there's too much on Josh Allen's shoulders. He literally had to do it all. He had a tremendous game thrown, over 300 yards passing, four touchdown passes, no picks, no turnovers. He was great. Rushing, he was the team's leading rusher with 68 yards. He had to do so in the air and on the ground because guess what? Devin Singletary was terrible. Couldn't be relied upon. So again, now, on third and fourth and shorts, you are handing the or just keeping the ball to Josh Allen, having him run. He was exhausted. He was dead tired on the field. That's just on the offensive end. On the defensive end, again, he had to score more and more because you couldn't even trust the Chiefs, uh, the Bills' defense, the number one defense in the NFL to come up clutch. You score with 154 left. Bills' defense doesn't even put up a fight. Allows the, the Chiefs to march right down the field. Tyreek Hill, 70 yards. See you later. Get the ball back. Josh Allen scores a touchdown with 13 seconds left. That should be it. You can't hold the Chiefs for 13 seconds. And then in overtime, it's like you're not even trying on the field. You're just, you already know the game's over. Pathetic effort from the Buffalo Bills. You can't be any worse in the big moment than, than what they were. And they showed themselves to be who they are. Frauds. Total frauds. Fraudulent from day one this defense was. Because sure, you can play well against the Falcons. You can make you know Zach Wilson look terrible. You can sack Tara Heineke and pick off Davis Mills all you want. When you can't slow down Jonathan Taylor, when you can't slow down the Titans offense, when you when the when the Patriots even tell you what's coming in that windy, blustery game in Buffalo on that Monday night where the 50-mile-an-hour winds prevented Mac Jones from throwing the ball. He only threw it three times. The Patriots told you we are running the ball, and they ran for 222 yards in a win, and you couldn't even stop it then. The Bills' defense showed you who they were multiple times over. Frauds. Absolute frauds. Can't be relied upon. They are not as good as the numbers suggest, and that showed on the big Stage, so I feel so bad for Josh Allen. I really do. This was his moment. He did everything he possibly could have done on the ground, in the air. Gabe Davis played the game of his life, the game of his career. One of the best games we've ever seen a wide receiver in the playoffs have. Playoff record, four touchdown receptions. You had Josh Allen by himself single-handedly go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and the big, bad Chiefs offense. And for 13 seconds, you could not have another heir of your team bail you out. It's an awful job. Awful job by the Bills. Awful job by their defense. I don't want to hear it. That's, that's it. 13 seconds, there's no excuse. I don't want to hear about overtime rules, how they're unfair, how a coin flip decides the game, because guess what? The Bills' defense decided the game when they allowed Patrick Holmes and Co. to drive 44 yards down the field in 10 seconds. That decided the game. Game on the line. Game in hand. Double-team Travis Kelsey. Triple-team Tyreek Hill. Don't allow the exact two plays they allowed to happen because guess what? You win the game. You are celebrating today. We are, we are lauding praise on Josh Allen all show long and all week long. And instead... The defense is what absolutely screwed Allen, screw the Buffalo Bills, and it's inexcusable. Defensive-minded head coach of Sean McDermott, great defensive coordinator in Leslie Frazier, you cannot allow that to happen. The criticism for, for them not squibbing the ball, 
for not forcing the Chiefs to return it on the final kickoff to chew up clock. It's absolutely well-deserved. I'll be honest, in the moment, I did not think of it. It did not dawn on me. I believe Tony Romo mentioned it at the point where he wanted a return. He wanted some clock to get chewed up. As you know, another blunder there by the Bills. But either way, 13 seconds left to the Chiefs at their own 25-yard line is more than enough time to get the job done. It is more than you know an uphill climb for the Chiefs to keep this game alive. Inexcusable. Absolutely inexcusable. So that'll do it for this edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. What a game. What a moment. What a weekend. We appreciate you tuning in and making us a part of your Monday. We will be back on Thursday. Get you ready for conference championship weekend. It will be a total blast. So I can't wait. So between now and then, stay safe. Stay sane. And we'll talk to you where else? But right here on the Worldwide Sports Network on Thursday, the new edition of the Ryan Hickey Show. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network.